Uh, just for a little bit of background uh, to that passage, uh, Judas had just betrayed uh, Jesus. The disciples didn't know why, at least the vast majority of them did not. They see Judas kind of roll out of town. Uh, Jesus is preparing to die, and he is preparing his disciples for the time when uh, he does die. Uh, Peter makes a promise to Jesus that I will lay down my life for you, and Jesus essentially says to him, no, you won't. Uh, he says to Peter, you will uh, deny me three times, and followed by what comes across is an astounding uh, command uh, by Christ, uh, which is, let not your hearts be troubled. So we started thinking about this last week, this command to not let your hearts uh, be troubled, and uh, we, we kind of gave an alternative to a troubled heart last week, which was believing in God. And we said that we could believe in God, that that wasn't such a crazy idea because God through Christ has prepared a place for us. Uh, His word is trustworthy. He promises to take us with him. And then the way to God is through the son, is through Jesus. Uh, Last week near the end of my message, I shared just a line from the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, that talks about strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, and I suggested that our passage from last week uh, seems to be addressing the second line or the second half of that uh, of that idea: strength for the day and bright hope for tomorrow. If you have had a troubled heart before, and I suspect that you have, uh, the thought of heaven uh, could be life-giving to you. But occasionally we hear that, and we think that's great. But what about here and now? Uh, What about today? Well, today's passage really addresses what strength for today looks like by giving us four sure promises that God gives uh, to us. And so this morning, I want us to think together about those four promises, talk about who they are for, and then give us a little evidence that uh, they actually are for us. And so first, I want to start uh, by pointing out promise number one, which is you will do greater works. John chapter 14, verse 12 reads, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the father. So again, Jesus is leaving his disciples. Uh, He is going to the Father. As you can imagine, the disciples' hearts are troubled. Uh, They don't know exactly uh, what is going down. They probably don't know what's going to happen after Jesus leaves them. You can imagine uh, that their hearts are uh, torn, and Jesus gives them uh, really this rock-solid promise Uh, that they will do uh, the works that he has done and greater works they will, in fact, do, which when you think about it is amazing. Uh, So first, I want us to notice uh, who the promise is for because I think it's significant uh, for you and me. Who is the promise for? It says, well, whoever believes, whoever believes. So this promise is not for the spiritually elite It is not for the spiritual special forces of the world, if there was such a thing. It is not for varsity Christians. It's not for the all-American Christians or just the Christians with 30 years on-the-job training. Uh, It is for 
whoever believes. Whoever believes. And whoever here means whoever. And so if you believe, this promise is for you. If you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, but James, I didn't attend seminary. That's fantastic. Are you whoever? If the answer to that question is yes, then the promise is for you. If you say, James, I'm not a leader. I mean, I'm not a leader. Just a natural born follower. I'm not going to take the hill. I'm not going to move into a space and go, hey, I'm in charge here. That's not me. That's great. Are you whoever? If you are whoever, then this promise is for you. It doesn't matter if you're not seminary trained, if you're not a teacher, if you are not a leader. Maybe you're thinking, James, listen, I'm not, I wouldn't advertise this, but I'm, I'm not super knowledgeable with the Bible. I hear people talking about verses that I've never heard before, and they say things to me like, well, you know the story about such and such, and you're thinking, I don't know the story about such and such. Great. Are you whoever? If you are whoever, then this promise is uh, for you. It's for you. Whoever uh, believes. There's all sorts of whoever promises that we read about all throughout the Gospels. I mean, think about John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever. John 7, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John chapter 11. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John chapter 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Whoever means whoever. And so if you are here this morning and you believe in Jesus, if you've trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins, then you're included in the whoever. Well, whoever will what? I mean, what does whoever get to do? The text tells us, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about that. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. So I read something like that, and I go, okay, what does that mean? Because it it sounds too good to be true. I mean, it sounds spectacular. Maybe the disciples are there in the upper room and they're thinking to themselves, this thing is coming to an end. Like we experienced a little momentum with Jesus. We saw his miracles, his work. Uh, There were more followers coming after him. I really felt like this thing was taking off. And then all of a sudden Jesus is telling them, hey, I'm out of here. And so maybe they think to themselves, Um, this thing is coming to an end, right? All of the hopes and dreams that we had of the kingdom spreading, 
uh, is nearing an end. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. No, it's not. Whoever believes will do the works that I do, and even greater works than these will he do. So what does that mean? What does it mean to do the works that Jesus did or to do greater works? Well, on one hand, you might read that and think to yourself, well, it means that we're going to do the works that Jesus did, and we're going to do greater works. And I naturally think about his miracles. I think, man, that would kind of be cool. I mean, Jesus gave sight to the blind. Uh, He helped the lame to leap. The dying were made well. Uh, Are those the works that Jesus is referring to? Or is it possible that Jesus is referring to something else when he talks about uh, those works? Just kind of show my cards uh, so you know where I'm coming from. I do believe that God is capable and able of doing miraculous works. Historically, God has moved in miraculous ways, ways that leave us scratching our heads going, hey, I, I, I can't explain it, but it happened. God does that. And there are times when God uses people to do things that leave us dumbfounded, where we go, I, I can't explain why that happened, but it did happen. Um, that being said, I don't know if Jesus is specifically speaking here about us doing greater miracles than Jesus did. And and there's a couple of reasons why I believe that. First is that the text says, whoever believes. So it's all-encompassing. It is for everyone. And yet, there are other places in Scripture where you read about the people of God being gifted and equipped uniquely and differently uh, in the church body. I think of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, uh, verses uh, 7 and 10. I'm going to actually read from 4 through 11. I don't know why I said 7 through 10. That was misleading. I lied. It was an accident. Um, Start in verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between the spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so Paul's writing to the early church and going, hey, God's spirit is going to gift and equip you uniquely and differently. He says later in that chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret it, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. 
And so I don't believe when Jesus is saying to his disciples and ultimately to the church that you will do the works that I did and you will do greater works than I did. I don't think he's telling them, hey, you know how I walked on water? Like, you're going to do something greater than that. I think what Jesus is telling his disciples and his followers is you are going to do great works in the sense that your works will be used by God to point people uh, to me. Uh, Notice what it says in John chapter 14 in the preceding verse. It says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. So Jesus is saying, believe the words that I say. If you're not willing to believe the words that I say, uh, believe in the works that I do. So Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, like my life, how I lived my life, how I operated here on earth points people to me i have come to do the father's work john 10 25 the works that i do in my father's name bear witness about me john 17 4 i glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do so jesus came to do the work of the father his works pointed people uh, to who he was and ultimately pointed people to his Father in heaven. So our works, your works, uh, done in faith, are a demonstration of faith in Christ and serve as a pointer uh, to God and to his glory. Um, This is how God has seen fit uh, to equip his church and believers. He uses Uh, our works done in faith to point people to him. It's crazy how he set it up, but this is what God has done. Scripture teaches us, for instance, that we are the aroma of Christ. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 15, that reads, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You you are the scent of Jesus uh, to a watching world, both to those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Scripture teaches us that our works uh, done in faith uh, serve as a light in a dark world. Think of Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill uh, cannot be hidden, Uh, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Scripture goes on and teaches us that we were actually created by the God of the universe for good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the works that you and I do are works of faith uh, that point people to Jesus, that the world sees perhaps more clearly uh, this side of the cross. Uh, Did you notice what it said in John chapter 14 when Jesus said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do 
and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus is teaching his followers that you will do a great works through the power of the Spirit uh, that I will send to you, works that will ultimately uh, glorify the Father. So promise number one is you will do greater works. Uh, promise number two that we see in the text is that your prayers will be answered. Your prayers will be answered. John chapter 14, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In order to better understand this promise of God to his people, it's important uh, for us to understand the mission uh, that God gives his people. Because uh, this prayer is grounded and founded in the mission of God on this planet. We, as followers of Jesus, are called to follow Christ and to love Christ, to proclaim Christ, to point people to Christ, to live for Christ, to glorify Christ. God is making his appeal to the world through you. Through you. This is the plan that God dreamed up. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When God thought about how he was going to advance the gospel around the world, he thought of you. He thought of us. He thought of his sons and daughters. He said, I have a plan. I am going to use my people, regular old people, uh, to advance the gospel around the world. I'm going to call them to call others uh, to follow Jesus. And so if you are here this morning, you have been sent on mission. You've been sent on mission. Your mission is not to exist. Your mission is not to come and simply gather and to shake a few hands and say hello to your friends. Uh, your mission is not to experience the good life or a comfortable life or a joy-filled life by pursuing uh, all of the joy that you can possibly pursue. Instead, the God of the universe has given you a mission. I don't know if you know that or not, uh, but you have been sent on mission. I had the great joy of playing tennis in college. I was a college athlete. I don't like to advertise it. But I played tennis in college. Cedarville University. It was an NAIA school, which is not exactly Division I or two or three. But after that, NAIA, I was a college athlete. And I was a tennis player, and before every match, our coach would gather us up together. And, you know, there's, when you play tennis, there are no hype videos. Like, no, like, there's just not. Like, people aren't, like, jumping up and down, like, waiting to run out the tunnel. Like, there's no, like, there's no cool hype music for us. There's just a bunch of guys in short shorts and T-shirts with their tennis rackets. That's it. So tennis coach would gather us together, and he would give us words of wisdom. He always said to us, all right, guys, what you want to do 
is just win the last point. And that's all he would say. Just win the last point. Just so you know, in case you're not a lover of tennis, if you win the last point in tennis, you win. Like you win. It's a big deal. It's a big deal if you win the last point. So he would send us out on mission, and the mission was clear. Whatever you do, win the last point. Right? So that was the goal. So you, follower of Jesus, you have been sent out on mission by God uh, to advance the gospel to your friends and to your family and to your neighbors, to live a life pleasing to God, a life that glorifies God. And so knowing that you are on mission, when you pray and you ask God to be glorified in your life, God answers that kind of prayer. So this prayer uh, that Jesus is talking about, it's, it's, not a, it's not a prayer for more stuff. This is not like the first Amazon wish list. Like, just click on what you want, and I'll give it to you. You know that. Um, This is a prayer, a mission-minded prayer. God, I want you to be glorified in my life. And the God of the universe says, done. I will answer that kind of prayer. So if you are here this morning and you have a troubled heart, I want you to know, I want you to know you, you will do great works for Christ's sake. You will do great works for Christ's sake. The God of the universe hears and answers your prayers to be used by God in such a way that he is glorified. Promise number three, you uh, will receive uh, the Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is amazing to me. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you move down to verse 25 of John chapter 14, you'll read these words. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Just think about how the Spirit of God is described um, just in these few verses. The Spirit is described as a helper uh, who will be with you forever. Spirit's not coming and going. Spirit will be with you forever. I will give you another helper to be with you forever. He is described as the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. By the way, if you're here this morning... And there's something that you want to do with your life or in your life, and it does not align with Scripture. Um, Don't say things like, I just feel like the Spirit led me to fill in the blank. That's not the Spirit. 
Because the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And so if you are being led to do something, to go somewhere that does not align with God's Word, that's not the Spirit. might be something you ate. might be something that you desire or something that you want. But the Spirit of truth leads us in all truth. He is our teacher. He is the one who reminds us what we need to remember. Verse 26 says, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so there's a Greek word that's used to describe the Spirit in the New Testament. It's parakletos, which means one called to another side specifically to help or to aid. It can denote the idea of an intercessor or someone who pleads another's cause before a judge. Uh, The word itself reveals the all-encompassing role that the Spirit of God has in the people of God. The Spirit, God the Spirit, um, is our helper. He is our intercessor. He is our advocate, our comforter our counselor, our our sustainer. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to leave. And he says later in John 16, verse 7, hey, it's better for for, for you that I go because I am going to send to you, um, I'm going to send to you a comforter. I'm going to send to you the Spirit. It's to your advantage that I go, Jesus said, which absolutely blows my mind. Because Jesus, I get, like he, he's there, he's in front of the disciples. They've walked with him for years, for three years. And they, they can see him. They can lay eyes on him. They can, they can touch him. And Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going. And oh, by the way, that's really good news for you. And the reason that it's good news is because Jesus sent to them and sends to us the Holy Spirit to be with us forever. The Spirit of God is not simply a force or a, a feeling that we have in our gut. The third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, is a person. The Spirit is God. And so Jesus encourages his disciples Uh, who have unsteady hearts, hey, I want you to know that I am sending the Spirit of God to be with you wherever you go, and He will be with you forever. He will be with you forever. He will not leave you. So I'm going to empower you, and I'm going to equip you to do what I've called you to do by sending the Spirit to you. So I mean, I did some research, and I thought, I want to think about the role of the Holy Spirit in the people of God. And I I stumbled across this list. It's not original uh, to me, but it's just a list of the role of the Spirit in Scripture. I'm going to ask you to do something crazy this morning. I just want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. I can't. These lights are bright. If you don't close them, I can't tell. You're not going to get in trouble. But just close your eyes. And I want you to listen um, to, to what the Spirit does in the people of God. Right, the Spirit is our counselor. The Spirit imparts wisdom. 
The Spirit adopts. The Spirit calls to ministry. The Spirit empowers. The Spirit illuminates. The Spirit produces fruit. The Spirit seals. The Spirit strengthens. The Spirit helps. The Spirit intercedes. The Spirit provides truth. The Spirit teaches and testifies. The Spirit guides and grieves and convicts and loves. This is the Spirit, people of God, who is in you if you are a child of God. I sat with a friend on Friday and he shared with me uh, some ministry opportunities that he was pursuing and I was just blown away by the work that he was doing. And I said to him, I, I do not know how you do it. Like, I wouldn't know what to do or what to say. I don't know the first thing of the work you are doing. And he says, James, we have the Spirit of God. Church family, brothers and sisters, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you have been sealed by the Spirit of of the living God. So, so, like, what can you not do? Like, the Spirit of the living God is in you. Today, right now, when you leave this place and go out and live life in this world, when you connect with and talk to your neighbors or to your colleagues or to your family members, the Spirit of the living God is in you. So the disciples are in the upper room with Jesus. Jesus tells them, I'm going to die and I'm going to leave you. And he says, I've got good news. I am going to send you my spirit who will be with you. What a promise to steady a shaky heart. God will be with you. Promise number four, you will receive peace. You will receive peace. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now, I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe, which is super kind of Jesus to do. So Jesus tells his disciples that my very peace I am going to give to you. Right? The peace of Christ is yours, which is absolutely amazing. Right? You ever see one of these... Um, one of these times where an athlete will uh, see a kid in the stands or maybe meet someone, and the athlete will pull off his jersey, maybe sign his jersey and give it to a kid. Or maybe an athlete will take off his shoes and sign his sneakers right, and, and give them to a kid. Or maybe after he's played a game, he'll take his sweatband off and he'll throw it to someone in the crowd. And, and people who are on the receiving end of that gift are like, this is the greatest thing ever. It's the greatest thing ever. When you think about it, 
you're going, why is it so great? Like, you can get all of those things at Dick's Sporting Goods. You can get a jersey. You want some Jordans? You want some shoes? You can get shoes. You want a sweatband? There's plenty of them out there. But what's significant about it is who it comes from. Like my, like my hero gave it to me. Like that basketball player or that soccer player, this is their jersey. This is their pair of sneakers. This is their sweatband. Jesus is looking at the disciples and he's saying, my very peace, the, the peace of Christ, he gives to you. That is amazing. And the peace of Christ is not the same peace that the world offers. It's not. It's totally different. The peace that we oftentimes receive in life comes from like our circumstances that work out for us, when our relationships are great, when our finances are awesome, when things kind of fall in line the way that we want them to, when our circumstances are what we want them to be. We go, man, I have such a peace. That's not the peace of God. Right? The, the peace of God is when Jesus uh, sits in the upper room with his disciples and says to them, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to give you my peace. And it is unlike the peace that the world has to offer. This same peace is ours when life is turned upside down. Like when life goes sideways, when things do not go the way that you want them to go. And they will not always go the way that you want them to go. And it is in those moments when Jesus says to his followers, I want you to have something. I want you to have my very peace. It is not the same thing as the world's peace. And so do not let uh, your hearts grow faint. Do not be afraid, Jesus tells us. I'm going to give you my peace. And I love verse 29 when it says, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Like Jesus is going, hey, this, just so you know, this is how this is going to go down. And when it goes down this way, I just want you to remember that we had this conversation. And I want you to remember you had this conversation because I want you to believe. I want you to go, wait a second. He told me that was going to happen, and it did. Like, isn't it amazing that God does that? So this is the promise that God gives to his people uh, when they suffer from troubled hearts. Remember uh, that you will do great works. Remember that your uh, mission-driven, gospel-centered prayers will be answered. Remember, you will receive the Spirit of God when you believe. Remember that you will receive the peace of God. I want to ask a question. Who are those four promises for? Who are the recipients of those promises? Because occasionally you hear promises that are for someone else, but they're not necessarily for you. And so I read those and I go, that sounds like good news. How do I know that they are for me and not for someone else? Well, we're told in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Now listen, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The promises of God are for the people of God. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know I'm so glad that you are here. I mean, it is amazing to have you. Welcome. I'm so grateful to God that you chose to be with us this morning. As it stands right now, if you don't know Jesus, these promises are not for you. However, however, good news, uh, these promises can be for you. Scripture teaches us that God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death, to be buried and to be raised to life, uh, to offer life to you and to me. And when we trust in his finished work, uh, our relationship with the God who made us is restored. We are rightly related to God. And these promises are yes and amen in Jesus. They are for you uh, and for me by faith. So how do we know uh, that we have received them? How do we know that we have received them? I love the Bible because the Bible answers questions that we ask. This is what I do when I come to the text. I just start asking questions. I'm going, there's these things, Lord, I don't understand. Like, help me understand. And it's so cool because many times the questions that we ask, God answers. How do we know if we've received the Spirit of God and these promises are for us? The Bible tells us, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Jesus is not teaching his disciples that your works earn your salvation. Jesus is not telling his disciples, if you obey me, then I will love you. It's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you love me, you will obey me. Our love for God results in obedience to God. We can't say that we love God and not follow God or not be obedient to God. They're they're inseparable in the Bible. And so if if you want to, to know, if you want to take a pulse on your love for Jesus, can I ask you, are you are you following him? When God instructs you to to do something, do you go like Yes, Lord. Yes. God, I, I love you. Like, of course, of course I'll do that. 
I, I love you, God. The beautiful thing about this promise is that Jesus doesn't then tell his disciples, I, I want you to manufacture that love in you so that you'll be obedient to me. He doesn't do that. Instead, <laughs> this is amazing, God gives us his spirit who pours his love into our hearts so that we will, as a result, obey him. A John chapter 5, verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, ha- who has been given to us. Love for God results in obedience to God. A love for God is a result of the Spirit of God in the people of God, which blows me away. So listen, church family, if you are here this morning and you suffer from a a troubled and unsettled heart, if you read those words of Jesus and you're going, good night, man, that, that is me. Like, I am a mess. And I am a mess. Before my feet, hit the ground in the morning, my heart is unsettled. I want you to know uh, that God gives you both hope for tomorrow and strength for the day. And the way that he does that is through the promise that you will uh, do great works, through the promise that your prayers your prayers for God to be glorified will be answered. You will receive the Holy Spirit. And God, through Christ, will give you his very peace. Uh, May it be so today. Would you pray with me? Father God, we give you uh, thanks uh, for your kindness uh, that you have shown to us uh, through Jesus. God, we are grateful for your sure and true promises. Lord, I do not know where we would be without them. Lord, thank you that you you promise to give us your spirit when we believe. You fill us uh, with your spirit. Your spirit never leaves us. God, thank you that you promise to us that you answer gospel-saturated mission-driven prayers uh, for your glory to be seen in our community and among the nations. God, thank you that you have given us the promise of your peace. Uh, For those who are here this morning longing for that peace, I pray in your kindness that you would draw them to yourself. Would your spirit work in their hearts and open their eyes? And would you pour faith into their hearts even now? God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.